This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. We began the week with good news that all adults in the province, those born in 2003 and earlier, would be allowed to book a COVID-19 vaccine appointment starting this past Tuesday. There was a lot of frustration on the first day of booking with people complaining there are no appointments available for at least another month. Later in the week, though, some 19,000 new appointments were released in City of Toronto clinics. There was also ongoing uncertainty around the future of the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine and whether we Ontario residents who received the AstraZeneca vaccine will be able to get AstraZeneca for a second shot. Yesterday, we got some answers from Chief Public Health Officer Dr. David Williams, who announced a plan for second AZ doses starting this Monday for people who got their first shot between March 10th and March 19th. While filling in for Libby Snymer on Monday, I was joined by the Zoomer squad to talk about developments to that point. Peter Mugridge is senior editor at Zoomer Magazine. Bill Van Gorder is interim chief policy officer at CARP. And David Kravitz is chief membership officer at CARP and vice president here at Zoomer Media. We have had some cautious optimism among the squad last week and the week before. We didn't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it's clear now that the supply is coming in uh, as hoped for, maybe even slightly better than hoped for. And so as they open it up, um, we're going to see more of this, and I hope everybody uh, takes advantage of this uh, opportunity. Yes, and it's so nice for those of us Zoomer parents who have adult children that they've been able to get their vaccines just in the last week. Uh, my son yeah. Jacob, 26, my daughter Jamie, 24, they they got theirs this week. Stepsons have also gotten theirs. So it's it's a big relief, Bill, for those of us uh, with children who are grown and living in hotspots in Toronto. Well, it certainly is a relief, and not only are we now more comfortable about their health, but it means that uh, it looks like it's not going to be that long before we can start not only visiting them, but have them come and assist us the way they were able to before COVID hit. Right. Yes. Excellent point. Uh, Peter, what are your thoughts on uh, 18 plus a week ahead of schedule? Well, you you know, uh, that's great news, but I'm still waiting for my first vaccine. So, you are uh, not, are you? <laughs> I, I'm in a I'm in a zone. I, I'm in a uh, postal code which is in between all the hot zones. So I, um, you know, uh, fifty plus people are still had to go through the central registry, and uh, the earliest I could get was middle of June. Wow! So, yeah. So I, I've been trying with at the local clinics, but they're they're very they're dead set on following the uh, hot zone uh, postal codes. Yes, and um, so I'm waiting, but but it, it is good news, and and uh, I'm sure I won't have to wait as long for a second dose because of the uh, 
the uh, flux of uh, vaccines coming in. Well, it's interesting, Peter, you mentioned one of my colleagues who's working from home in Fergus, Ontario. She is 40, in her early 40s, and age eligibility for the vaccine went to 40 across the province last week. And when she goes and enters her postal code, it comes up as 60-plus eligibility. So they, I think there are still some kinks in the system there, as well. There are glitches, for sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know... It, the the advice I'd be given is if you can go to a clinic, go go to that first, and then uh, you know use the central registry as a fallback because there are glitches for sure. Let's talk about second doses now, especially for those of us who got the AstraZeneca vaccine first. So, David, why not get these fifty thousand doses into the arms of Ontario residents who already got the first shot? The communications around this, the science around this, the yes, it's safe, no, it's not, abundance of caution, not an abundance of caution. Um, I have no clue what to make of it all. And I think that they have sowed so much confusion and uncertainty. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that there's other research that says most people that, you know, have their first dose are quite happy with it and they're ready for the second dose. But it's not because they've been given any clear guidance from the powers that be. Uh, Bill, there's no question about it. The AstraZeneca vaccine has gotten a bad rap, more so than it deserves. All the studies that uh, that we've seen show that the chance of having a bad reaction to it of any kind are phenomenally low, lower than many of the other risks that we take in life. What we're hearing, though, from our CART members who have gotten it is uh, fine. We have the first one. We're all right. Now, can we get the second one sooner? Because many of them are having to wait months away when they originally thought that they would be able to get their vaccines four or five weeks apart. So that's their concern now. They've had the first, they want their second, and they want to, to be fully vaccinated. Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP. David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. And Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Fight Back's Monday Zoomer Squad. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. As if Canada's COVID-19 vaccine rollout program has not been riddled with enough problems, A week ago last night, we learned about the abrupt dismissal of the individual in charge, Major General Danny Fortin. What we know about the investigation into Danny Fortin is based on a report which says he's alleged to have exposed himself to a woman some 32 years ago. He's since been replaced by Brigadier General Krista Brody, a 30-plus year veteran who's been involved in the vaccine rollout since the fall. And given that she is a woman, it is far less likely any sexual misconduct allegations about her will surface. Libby spoke to Fightback's Tuesday strategy panelists around that development, along with the uncertainty about the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine and whether it would be used for second doses in Ontario, a scenario that has been made more clear with an announcement yesterday that second doses will be given starting Monday for people who got their first AZ shot between March 10th and 19th. Here are John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleshman Hillard High Road, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, and Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister. When you look at Brigadier Krista Brody, 
her her experience and and her um, ability and credentials are tremendous. I think she'll shine in this role. I mean, we the seat. Here's here's the things I think are required with these vaccine rollouts and with leadership in the in the federal areas. We need real leadership. We need secure supply. We need proper distribution systems, and we need frontline champions to make it all happen. We also need less mixed messages, right? These confusions around efficacy, the hot spots, the lockdowns. I think the Brigadier General can manage four of those buckets. I don't think she can manage the the mm-hmm. the, 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 the communication systems that that seems to make it all work. Well, first of all, it's up to the provinces to decide um, what they're going to use. And we have 50,000 doses of AstraZeneca. The provinces paused the use of this in first doses. But what about second doses? The evidence that we have shows that the chances of getting a blood clot if you use it as a second dose is one in a million or something. And why are they holding on to this? Are they going to let this go to waste, Karen? There was a moment of communication that could have the government could have owned in the province, which is we're not getting as much AstraZeneca shipments. We're going to try to reduce mixed doses as much as possible. We're not giving first doses of AstraZeneca anymore because of this reason. But we have 50,000 doses. We're going to immediately dispense them to the pharmacy for second doses. It's well, clean. It, it's clear. It makes sense. People would understand. Yes, yeah, some people are going to get their second dose before I get mine. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay under the circumstances to let those go to waste, to sit and navel gaze, to look around the room to figure out what to do is, 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 is unbelievable to me. Charles, I mean, why are they doing this? Is there a liability issue or what? Yeah, I, I don't know. It makes no sense to me. I mean, if I look at the stats... Canada is about 3.8% fully vaccinated, whereas the world is about 4.6%. We've got the vaccines. People want the demand there. I mean, these late-night doses that are happening, uh, there's one that happened in Mississauga. People came. People want uh, the ability to come in. I've seen it done, or I've been hearing what they've done in other parts of the world. They register themselves as they walk in, and then then immediately they register for a second vaccine. And if the vac and if the availability is there, let them have it. I'll take it. I'd happily take a second my second vac my second dose. The mixed messaging and the confusion and the 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 science of it it has to be better explained so people can feel comfortable in getting their vaccines. My son lives in Ireland. He only has AstraZeneca. Yeah, they only have AstraZeneca. Millions and millions of people have, and and they're opening up. Uh, it, I mean, it is, and we're getting apparently two hundred and fifty-four thousand more doses of AstraZeneca this week, John. It all speaks to the confusion that that has been happening over the last, I would say, you know, a couple of months when it comes to the vaccines. You know, we saw we saw the confusion with respect to the sh- the shipments and the supplies and how many we, we were getting as a country and how many were being distributed to the provinces. And then then we started we started hearing from the various health experts about you know AstraZeneca in particular and the fact that it was uh, there were some issues going on and then there was a blockage in some countries where they stopped it and then we did. So it, it is it is a huge issue. I. You know, I think at the end of the day, the, the vaccines are being done. My daughter, you know, 19 years old, she got her uh, her first vaccine shot just the other day. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that that age cohort are, are out there and, and getting it. I'm hearing stories about lineups at these pop-up vaccine clinics where there are young people lining up to uh, to get the vaccine. So I think from that perspective, that that's good news. And, 
And that should continue to uh, to happen because I think the more folks under 30 get, get vaccinated, the better it is. And, and the hope it is for all of us to be able to have some sort of a normal summer come, uh, come June, July. John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road, Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister, and Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, Fightback's Tuesday Strategy Panel. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, COVID vaccines go 18 plus across Ontario. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We hit a new milestone this past week in the COVID-19 vaccine rollout in Ontario. Bookings opened to all adults and 17-year-olds turning 18 this year. At the same time, up until yesterday, there was no clear answer for people who received the AstraZeneca shot first and we're waiting to hear what they will be given for their second dose, whether it would be Pfizer or AstraZeneca, which has been paused for first doses because of a link to an extremely rare blood clotting issue. We've since learned recipients of a first AstraZeneca shot between March 10th and 19th may get their second AZ doses starting this Monday, May 24th. There was also new data from a Spanish study that shows mixing vaccines is safe and effective. In fact, the research suggests an AstraZeneca first dose followed by a Pfizer second shot is more effective against COVID-19 than an AstraZeneca first dose followed by an AstraZeneca second shot. Libby discussed all of these issues on Tuesday with Dr. Gerald Evans chair of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Queen's University, and Dr. Ray Dianandon, epidemiologist and associate professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. It's curious. On the one hand, I get the need to, uh, to respond to the population's reluctance and hesitation around this vaccine. On the other hand, they're about to expire. These are precious, precious assets that the world needs. My feeling is if we're not going to use them, decide pretty soon and ship them to a place like India where clearly the benefits well outweigh the risks and we can use mRNA doses for everyone else here. Um, unless we make a quick decision right now about who gets the second doses. Well, that's that's one option. But to me, it's 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 not at all clear that mixing the doses is a good idea. And I have even anecdotally heard from lots of people who had a first dose of AstraZeneca who said, I'd be happy to get it. What's the problem if the number shows one in a million, Dr. Evans? Yeah, well, I, I think we kind of hit the nail on the head. Uh, uh, Dr. Dionandon just made a point. Listen, these AstraZeneca vaccine was about half of the vaccination that went into the UK, and we've seen what impact that's had in the UK. Uh, they now have a strong plan for reopening based on the fact that it provides great protection. I would be a little bit, um, I guess I would be a little bit concerned about saying that mixing the vaccines produces 
serious consequences. What it does is that some of the symptoms that we associate with any of these vaccines, sore arm, fevers, fatigue, muscle pain, stuff like that, are a little bit more profound in people who got a different vaccine on their first and second doses, but none of it suggests that there's an uh, increased safety signal problem. And as you said, uh, second doses of AstraZeneca have not been associated with as high a risk for the development of that vaccine-induced thrombocytopenic uh, thrombosis problem. So uh, other than making sure that that interval is right, it's about three months for AstraZeneca, probably pushing them forward. But I totally agree with, with my, my uh, I'll call him my good friend because he and I know each other from Twitter, is like, if we're not going to use it, we need to send it around the world where it can be used. And right now, I would certainly agree India is a great place to send it to. Let's go to this Spanish study that just came out this morning. It's the CombiVax study. And it found that the presence of antibodies in the bloodstream was between 30 and 40 times higher in people who got the follow-up Pfizer than the control group who received only one AstraZeneca dose. But it also found that there were more antibodies after a Pfizer dose than after a second AstraZeneca dose. What we know about the adenovirus vector vaccines is they seem to induce a more of a stronger T-cell response. And that's not measurable easy. easily. You have to look at T-cells in a different way. The mRNA vaccines tend to stimulate the humoral system, which produces antibodies, which are really easy to measure. So you can measure antibodies a lot. I would just always warn people to be careful with, with looking at antibody levels in isolation because it's a surrogate marker. The marker we really care about is, does it prevent you from getting sick? Does it prevent you from getting infected? And antibodies can be part of that signal. But the antibody measurement itself is a, is a marker that is a, you, you want to say it, it functions as a surrogate for what you ultimately care about, which is did it prevent disease or did it prevent infection? And that's where people sometimes get pulled astray. You have to understand exactly how the immune system works. And what we think happens is that T-cell responses protect you from getting sick and dying. And antibody responses probably are important in that aspect, but also in the aspect of actually preventing you from getting infection. We're almost out of time, Dr. Dianand, and what would you like to leave us with? The end is there. Some optimism there. We're on the path to normal, so just hang in there. We're almost there. And Dr. Evans? Oh, boy, he said it all for me. Yeah, I, I think we're really moving quickly now. We're going to have lots of vaccine. This is going to be a, a summer of emerging from uh, the cocoon of the pandemic, and, I, and I'm really looking forward to it. Dr. Gerald Evans, chair of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Queen's University, and Dr. Ray Dianandon, epidemiologist and associate professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. They were in conversation with Libby Snymer on Tuesday. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Do you know what you should do if you see blood in your urine? This is the primary symptom of bladder cancer. So if you see red, see your doctor. It does not mean you have bladder cancer, but you need to consult first with your family doctor and then a urologist to rule out bladder cancer. And if you are diagnosed with bladder cancer, early treatment leads to a successful and oftentimes normal future. This is Bladder Cancer Awareness Month. 
bittersweet for me since I lost my mom, Sandy, to bladder cancer in 2012. Joining me as they do on Fight Back every year, Dr. Alex Zlata, Director of Uro-Oncology at Mount Sinai Hospital, Professor in the Department of Surgery, Urology at the University of Toronto, and member of Bladder Cancer Canada's Medical Research Board, along with Ferg Devins, Bladder Cancer Survivor and Chair of Bladder Cancer Canada. It's uh, certainly one of our uh, primary campaigns is the CRED see your doctor campaign. Currently, it's uh, the image of a lemon being squeezed and it's a drop of blood. Mm-hmm. And the point there being is a, a lemon should be yellow. And so your urine should be yellow. So if you see blood in your urine, you should see your doctor. And I think the most important thing to reinforce, particularly during these COVID times, Jane, if it happens once, you should call your doctor. And I'm sure that Dr. Zlotter would reinforce that. Well, right. Dr. Zlotter, what is the first thing you do if you see blood in your urine even once? I think, as uh, Ferg said, you absolutely have to consult. Don't neglect. And uh, I'm going to repeat what I said last year, which is I really think that the hospitals are the safest places in our entire country and, and, and province. Basically, nothing happens. The screening is so tight that nothing happens. So you, you carry and risk nothing by consulting. Dr. Zlata, you would know this better than anybody uh, during COVID. If, if you're seeing blood in your urine and you've told your family doc about it, you may not be able to see a urologist right away. Yes, but on the other hand, honestly speaking, I think we all, and uh, and I speak on behalf of, of, of all my colleagues, have done uh, the extra work and, and went the extra mile to, to be able to, to see patients and, and people in that condition. And so, to the best of my knowledge, uh, in terms of diagnostic workup, everything has been done to really optimize. You know, we live uh, in unprecedented times for sure, but by far and large, we've been able to help uh, people who presented with, you know, blood in the urine, for instance. Yeah. Now, when it comes to diagnosis, Ferg, there are two types of bladder cancer. Can you get into that for us? So, non-muscle invasive bladder cancer, and that's what I had back in 2014. That was uh, two uh, tumors that were on the inside of the bladder. Uh, they were really on inside the surface of the bladder, and so I had a what the procedure called T-U-R-B-T, which is basically they go in and, and surgically I was put under and they remove those those tumors from inside the bladder, scrape them out, if you will, mm-hmm. make sure they've got, uh, you know, all of the margins of, of the tumors. Now, I was high grade. So following that, I, I underwent uh, up to 18 uh, treatments of a treatment called BCG. People can see the explanation of that on our website at bladdercancercanada.org. So that's non-muscle invasive bladder cancer. I still have my bladder. I was very fortunate and touch wood, uh, you know, since 2014, I've been all clear ever since. The other is invasive bladder cancer and oftentimes that's when the uh, doctors lotta likes to call it the tiger versus the pussycat and and it becomes very aggressive goes into the wall of the bladder can be penetrating the wall of the bladder and that that's when the bladder has to be removed through what's known as a radical cystectomy and then doctors lotta can probably enlighten us on some of the options that patients would have with respect to urinary uh, diversion if the bladder is removed there's also metastatic bladder cancer and I raise that 
that because I unfortunately lost a friend just last week to uh, metastatic bladder cancer. Oh, uh, he Ferg, I'm sorry. That disease. Yeah, he he had a kidney removed uh, three years ago, and as it turned out, it was bladder cancer, and that kidney it was metastatic bladder cancer. Oh. So, um, you know, I think it's important. The, the big thing here is you catch it early. I was very fortunate. I had some some strange back pain. I went to my doctor, had had a CT scan. It showed something in the bladder. I was off to uh, see my urologist at Sunnybrook Health Sciences, and they caught it early, and I got them out of there, and I still have my bladder today. So if you see blood in the urine, for gosh sake, folks, you make sure you call your doctor. Ferg Devins, bladder cancer survivor and chair of Bladder Cancer Canada, and Dr. Alex Zlata, director of uro-oncology at Mount Sinai Hospital, professor in the Department of Surgery at the University of Toronto, and member of Bladder Cancer Canada's Medical Research Board. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Lily in Pickering, who phoned with a question many of us have had this last week about the 45,000 doses of AstraZeneca COVID vaccine in reserve here in Ontario, which are soon to expire. Again, it's the AstraZeneca uh, vaccines are stored. Apparently, there's a uh some in reserve and due to expire at the end of the month, why are they not rushing to get these these vaccines out as second doses? Lily, we all got some good news yesterday when we learned that those AstraZeneca doses will be used for second shots starting on Monday for people who got a first shot between March 10th and March 19th. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416 367 9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.